So thank you. Well, you've heard of the proverbial out of the frying pan into the fire. Uh, What does that even mean? That means when you find yourself in the frying pan, things are not going well, and you say, I'm going to bail and get out of here, and you jump out of the frying pan and find yourself in the fire. That's a worse place. Um, Or just when you breathe the sigh of relief that you dodged that bullet, uh, perhaps you can think of a scene from a movie where, yeah, that just happened, and as the guy turns around, he realizes, whoa, I just got rid of one, and there's a whole army, or... There's a spaceship, or you, you, you add it to that. A proverb reminds us, as sparks fly upward, so man is born to trouble. Now, we're not talking about minor annoyances here, like getting the barbecue lit only to find you run out of propane. <sighs> like, that's so frustrating. That's annoying. That's not what we're talking about. Um, we're talking about real crises where it's hard to see a light at the end of the tunnel, and it's hard to find any hope. Today we're going to look at another, uh, another situation David finds himself in as he faced a crisis that led him to the brink of death at the hands of his own troops. What he did next is a lesson for us in finding hope in a desperate crisis. Our series is Finding Hope When Your Life is on Fire. Last week we talked about uh, finding hope in a desperate circumstance. And today, uh, out of the frying pan, into the fire... Finding Hope in a Desperate Crisis. First Samuel 30 is where our reading is. I'm going to read this chapter to you. Now, when David and his men came to Ziklag, you remember Ziklag? Who wants to live in Ziklag? But that's where they found safety and stability. And uh, they were getting some stuff there. And, uh, and uh, their, their families were getting settled. And they were doing pretty good for themselves. Ziklag was a good place Now, when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the woman and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the men who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives had also been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. And David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. So David set out and the 600 men who were with him. And they came to the brook Basor where they were, those who were left stayed behind. But David pursued he and 400 men. 200 stayed behind who were too exhausted to cross the brook Basor. They found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David. They gave him bread and he ate. They gave him water to drink. And they gave him a piece of uh, a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit revived, for he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. And David said to him, To whom do you belong and where are you from? He said, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite, and my master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. 
We had made a raid against the Negev of the Carathites and against that which belongs to Judah and against the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, Will you take me down to this band? And he said, Swear to me, my God, that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this band. And when he had taken him down, behold, they were spread abroad over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day, and not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds, and the people drove the livestock before him and said, This is David's spoil. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David and who had been left behind at the brook Basor. And they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each man may lead away his wife and children and depart. But David said, You shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. Who would you listen to you in this matter? For as is his share who goes down to the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. And he made it a statute and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. When David came to Ziklag, he sent part of the spoil to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, Here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. It was for those in Bethel, in Ramoth of the Negev, in Jatir, in Aror, in Sifmoth, in Eshtemoa, in Rakal, in the cities of the Jeram, Jer, Jer, okay, Jeramelites, yeah. in the cities of the Kenites, in Horma, in Borashan, in Athak, in Hebron, for all the places where David and his men had roamed. Well, the story ended pretty good, didn't it? Right? They got all their junk back. Oh, sorry, all their goods back, and um, they're, they're back in the city, rescued everybody. That's a pretty good ending to the story, uh, but it wasn't all that way. Let's go back to the beginning of that story when uh, David uh, comes back out of the frying pan where he was going to have to fight against Israel, um, and who knows what he was going to do, but he got kicked out, and he comes back. Interesting how three days before when he left the Philistines, God was already providing for them by uh, making an Egyptian slave get sick and uh, so that he was ready to lead them to this armed band. Isn't it interesting how God was already in all of this? And the writer of First and Second Samuel is all over that. But um, right at this point, they get back there and the city is burned and uh, everybody's gone. It's a desperate crisis. Where do you find hope? in a desperate crisis. Well, the key statement from our passage that I want to leave ringing in your ears today is that David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Uh, say it with me. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. It's, it's right in front of your eyes. Come on, read it with me. All right? This is what I want to stick with you. Say it with me. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. All right, well... 
What does that mean? What did he actually do? How do you strengthen yourself and the Lord your God? Like, do you do push-ups while you quote Scripture? Like, what did he actually do? I want to know. I want to know. How, do I, how can I get some of that? How do you strengthen yourself in the Lord your God? How do you do that? Well, um, I think the most likely answer is this main point. Remember God's promises. Remember God's promises. So what promises did David have to go on? Well, there was the promise of his identity. Okay, who was David? Do you remember from last week? Who is David? He's the king of Israel. Who says so? Well, God said so. God sent his prophet Samuel to anoint David in front of his brothers, and he anointed him the king of Israel. So who says so? God says so. Samuel says so. You are going to be the king of all Israel. Who else said so? A Jonathan, you remember this? Jonathan, the heir to the throne under Saul, said, David, you are going to be the king of Israel and I'll be next to you. Even Saul himself, the man who's trying to kill David, who's driven him out of Israel over to the Philistines, said, I know that you will be the king of Israel and the Israel will be established in your hand. So David has an identity. He's going to be the king of Israel. Well, maybe that would encourage you when you're there and you've lost everything and these guys are saying, you know, my friends, we're going to kill you. We're going to stone you. This is all your fault. Yeah, but I'm the king of Israel. Oh, yeah? You're not even in Israel. I don't know. David had an identity. Would that carry him through? You know, like, I wish I had that. Like, I wish I knew, like, one day I'm going to preach God's word in Australia. So, you know, like, it doesn't matter what the doctor says. It doesn't matter what's going on in my life because, like, my identity. Like, I'm going to preach in Australia. I'm not there yet, so I guess this is going to work out. I don't know if David felt that way. Like, to me, that would be pretty tenuous. So for David, his identity was tied to the land, to a people, to a vocation, to a reality. We're not guaranteed an outcome in our, um, our, in that way like David was. But like, do you really think that that was really carrying him through in that moment? I don't know. What else did he have? Well, he had his experience. For David, God's promises were also related to his experiences. Like right from the get-go when he was a shepherd. Remember uh, when a bear attacked my flock? I took it by the beard and I killed it. Whoa. God's been with me. When uh, he first ran away from Saul and went to Achish. Remember, he was by himself. And he went over to the, the Philistines. Of all places to go, he goes to Achish in Gath. And everybody goes, hey, Dave, isn't this David? The guy that's killed his tens of thousands of uh, us, Philistines. Like, what's he doing here? And David started acting like crazy, letting his spit run down his beard and making weird signs on doors. So they'd think he's crazy because after all, like, and so uh, he was afraid they were going to kill him. And, and besides, he's dragging the sword of Goliath with him, who was from Gath. Like, that seemed like a bad plan from the start. But listen to what he wrote about that time. Psalm 56. 
He wrote when he was running away from, when he was acting like a crazy man in front of Achish. He says, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? I don't know, David. You're acting like crazy. It doesn't sound like you weren't afraid. Psalm 56, 11, it says, In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? So David, in a very difficult circumstance, when his life was in danger, had experience in trusting God. No, God has something for me. He is my rock. I don't have to be afraid. So maybe his experience was helping him here. But listen, don't think that this was just a slam dunk for David. Oh, you know, like I'm the king of Israel. Uh, you know, I've trusted God before. What does this chapter say? In verse 4, it says, Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. I don't know, have you been there? I, I guess I've been in some hard places. But I don't think I've ever cried till I couldn't cry anymore. Well, maybe you have. I've talked to people and I, I think that's where they've been. They've just been so distressed. And verse 6 says, David was in great distress. What does that mean? That word means he was pressed down. He was under pressure. You know that? That's the same picture we have of Saul just in the last chapter and the next chapter. Saul is facing the Philistine army. They've all gathered together. He probably heard, yeah, I think David's fighting with them. Like, that's not going to be good. And he was distressed. And God wasn't talking to him. Well, duh, you kill all of his priests. And where did Saul turn when he was in distress? He turned to a medium. He was trying to get some kind of spiritual direction, something from outside of himself so that he could handle what he was facing. And David was under distress. But where did he turn? David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He reminded himself of his identity and he reminded himself of his experiences But I think sometimes we develop this sanitized understanding of people. David was hurting. David was threatened. David was uncertain and facing angry and bitter people. Have you ever had to do that? Somebody is just like angry and like yelling and like, and I just kind of like, yeah, whoa, whatever. That doesn't bother me. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. I get distressed when somebody's angry and threatening. And like, let's remember, these guys were trained killers. They were, they were the men who became David's mighty men who did exploits. They, had, they were the kind of guys that uh, had been in battle with him. These were the guys that were in debt and uh, were distressed and discouraged and disheartened and like just angry at the world. These were the kind of guys you want to be armored car guards. They have nothing to lose. Don't mess with us. 
and they were going to kill David. And you don't think that, that he wasn't under stress? Yet I'm sure that what he was doing was reminding himself of his identity and his experiences. But I don't know. I still don't know. If that was me, I don't know if that would carry me. And so I want to I share one more thing that I think that David uh, relied on that talks about strengthening himself in his God. And, and I, uh, I think that it's so important. I don't even know if I can adequately express it to you. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God, its relationship. David had a personal relationship with God that is on premium display right here in this moment. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now, I I can't imagine that any of David's men who had been camping with him um, had not heard him singing songs around the campfire about Israel's God. David was the sweet songwriter of Israel. And I imagine these guys have been like out with him in the desert and everywhere. They were everywhere with him. And I can imagine sitting around the campfire, he pulled out the 12-string lute and started singing songs about the God of Israel. So Alexander McLaren says, the God of Israel, that is wide general, and a man might use it and yet fail to feel that it implied that each individual of the community stood by himself in a personal relation to God. What's that saying? That's saying that, you know, that like the God of Israel, I, I, people come here and they, oh, the God of Harvest Bible Chapel. Now, I believe in that God. Yeah, like we come and we worship that God, the God of Harvest Bible Chapel. The God, the God that we worship here. But that can be distant. And, and I think that's the kind of attitude that can develop here. Yeah, we worship like that God. But is he your God? I asked a man once if God loved him. And he said, well, of course, God loves people. God loved the world. God loves people. But, but me, here, now, yeah, I don't think so. You see, he failed to connect that God loves people with God loves me. And that's the danger that we're in here. Do you believe in the God of Israel? Or is he your God? McLaren continues, think too of the contrast of the thoughts and emotions suggested by my God and by the God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob. Great as that name is, it carries the mind way back into the past and speaks of a historical relation in former days, which may or may not continue in all its tenderness and sweetness and power into the prosaic present. I don't even know what that word means, but that's okay. The point of this is, is he the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? In other words, is he my dad's God? Or my grandma's God? Or is he my God? Now, I believe that my grandmother had a sweet, personal relationship with her God. But he's her God. I firmly believe that my mom and dad each had a personal relationship with God. He was their God. That doesn't make him my God. 
So the question before us is, is he your God? This characterized David's whole life and all of his writings. You know this one, Psalm 23. How does it start? The Lord is my shepherd. Do we all know that? Okay, let's be honest. That one's going to be read at your funeral. I don't know when that's coming, but probably just chances are, right? Like it's so well known. Well, listen, let's, let's memorize scripture here. Hold up your left hand, palm towards you. Let's do that. Work with me here. We're, we're going to memorize just the first line. The Lord is my shepherd. Start with your thumb. The Lord. Oh, that's your pointer finger. Points up. To who? The Lord. The God of heaven. The creator of the universe. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. He's awesome. He's incredible. He's beyond your imagination. That's the God. And the Lord is my shepherd. My. We put that my on the ring finger. Because that's where you put a ring when you have a covenant relationship with somebody. And when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, God begins a covenant relationship with you. And let's just be honest, He keeps the covenant, not us. And so the Lord is my shepherd. Do you have a covenant relationship with God? Is He your God? Is He your God? Can you say, the Lord is my God? Because that's so important. And I think this is where David turned. Listen to his testimony in Psalm 73. Listen to the relationship. Listen to David's relationship. Listen to what could be your relationship. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. True confession here. We read that there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. That's not always true. Sometimes I want something more than I want God. Does that happen to you? Uh, it happens to me. That's what we fight against. And, and we want to read this and we want to make it our own. There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Psalm 18 too. Listen to this. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now, maybe you're in circumstances and right now you're shaking and crying. Maybe you're not. But mama said it's going to rain, so maybe when, when, you are shaking and crying and fearful and confused and unsure. Hold on to your Lord. Grab a hold of your God. I'll be honest with you. There are times I have nothing else to offer you. I get calls and people are in desperate circumstances. And there's nowhere to turn. And it looks like they might even die. And I don't have an answer, but I got this. 
Make sure the Lord is your God and you grab a hold of Him and hang on to Him. Because if death does come, you'll be received into glory. I exhort you with Psalm 31. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me. A strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me. For you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Psalm 27, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. I encourage you with this. Psalm 31, be strong and let your heart take courage. All you who wait for the Lord. How do we do this? How do we overcome fear and anxiety? You remember your identity and remember your experiences, but more than anything, you Hold on to your God. Bob Kellerman says, When anxiety strikes, we focus so much on the situation and our feelings that we lose focus on God or we accept a skewed view of God. And this is where the battle takes place with anxiety. We focus so much on the situation or on our feelings. We live in a world who is so conscious of their feelings and they let their feelings and how I'm feeling and my physical reactions rule me. And I lose focus on what's actually true about God and about me. So I want to encourage you. Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Remember John 14.27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. It's not peace because things are working out. It's a special gift from Jesus Himself to you in the moment. Do not let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Why is this important? We do not deny the realities of life, the evil intent of people, or the sufferings and threats to physical and emotional well-being. We face all those things, and as much as possible, you remember last week, we get safe, we get stable, we find a way to serve God in the midst of it, and we look for solutions. But listen, in the moment of despairing darkness... We turn to a personal relationship with our God and let confidence in Him drive our responses. Now let me affirm that you're not a failure if you're struggling. David wept until he couldn't weep anymore. He was under great distress and pressure and he felt that. You're not a failure if you're struggling because this isn't easy. But let me tell you, there is no other answer than turning to a personal relationship with your God and hanging on to Him. So I would just ask you this. What are you allowing to drive your responses today? Today, because we're all living in really weird times right now. Are we not? And we're all responding in various ways. So are you afraid of losing your freedoms? I can't say you won't. Are you afraid of getting sick? You might, even if you are doubly vaxxed. 
Are you afraid of losing somebody? Maybe you already have. You might. Are you afraid of being the cause? That might happen too. It could be. Responses to these real issues vary greatly. And I'm not going to tell you what to think, and I'm not going to tell you what to do. But I am going to ask you this very important question. What is driving your responses? I really don't care what your response is. That's for you to decide. But as your pastor, I want to ask you, what are you allowing to drive your responses? Is it faith in the Lord, in your God, or are you driven by fear and anxiety? Well, however you choose to respond, it honestly could be either. Two people could respond exactly the same way, and one could be fear and one could be faith. That's a question for you to answer, so let me encourage you to come back to this. When you're fearful and anxious, when you're upset and angry, come back to this. The Lord is my shepherd. My shepherd. David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. Well, when I find hope in desperate circumstances, when I remember God's promises. Okay, let's just uh, cross that out. Are you taking notes? Cross that out. We're going to change that. I find hope in desperate crises when I realize God's presence. When I realize God's presence. Secondly, this, when I recognize God's direction. Well, we read that David called the priest, and uh, the one priest that was left, and he says, hey, bring me the ephod. What's an ephod? I don't think we have them around anymore. It was some kind of a thing that they used to ask the Lord questions. And so David asks God a question. Uh, Should I go after these guys? Will I catch them? God says, go after them. And not only will you catch them, you'll rescue everybody. Well, that's a pretty good mandate. Like, I wish I had that clearer word, right? Like, if I had that, that would give me a lot of confidence, right? Okay, we don't usually get that. For uh, us to get direction, we need to focus on God's word And uh, understanding it is not as specific as it was uh, coming to David. Um, So we're going to quickly look at finding God's direction. And there's a number of of things that we rely on. But before we do, uh, let me just say this. In a crisis, we don't usually get to ask a lot of questions. Right? In a crisis, you don't get a lot of choices. In a crisis, you just start reacting. And so let me just tell you, in a crisis is the wrong time to ask to start studying the Bible. Uh, it's a little too late. You should have been doing that before. Oh, like right now. Now, why is that? Because in a crisis, you just start reacting. And why do uh, EMTs practice so much? Why do the police practice so much? Why do the military practice so much? It's because if they're in a crisis, they don't actually want to do what comes naturally. And that's what I don't want to do. When I get into a crisis as a believer, I don't actually want to do what comes naturally because what comes naturally usually involves words that I shouldn't say. It involves reactions that are mean and ungodly and selfish and self-centered. Right? 
I'm usually unkind. Are you different than me? Are you some kind of golden person who just like you get under pressure and you're just nice and kind? People think that I am. That's just because I don't know what to do. I'm just like unaware and they go, oh, you're so gentle. I go, I'm just so stupid. That we don't respond well in crisis. And so in a crisis, you need to train so that you do what you know you should do. And I think that's what God wants us to do. In a crisis is not the time to learn something. I was in a crisis a while ago and somebody said, what do you think God's trying to teach you? I said, I don't think God's trying to teach me anything. He's trying to get me to do what I already know to do. He wants me to practice what I do know. He doesn't want me to learn that I should do something. I know what I should do. I should be kind. And so when I see that guy who's causing me all this grief, I am not going to put his head into the wall. I'm going to be kind. Because that's what God tells me to do. He tells me to be like himself. Well, we're going to see that a little bit more. Let's go through quickly. Finding God's direction involves these things. Command. Command. Sometimes God just said, dude, this is what you should do. Uh, So here's a command for you. I picked this one on purpose. Just for you. All right? Do all things without grumbling or disputing. All right? Do everything without complaining. Okay, that's just tough. Listen, if you go to work and just do that, that'll set you apart like you'll be like in the 1% of your employees. Like that will set you apart. Just go to work and don't complain. I'm telling you. And that's a command. God said, oh, not easy, not easy. I picked that one. Just, I wish I hadn't. Okay, let's move on. How about principle? Uh, here's a principle of scripture. Through love, serve one another. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, it's a principle. You apply it in all kinds of different ways, in different circumstances. Um, If you're not serving one another in love, you're not doing the right thing. I guess that's a good way to look at it. Um, How about this example? Paul says, it was not because we do not have that right, but to give give you in ourselves an example to imitate. So there's lots of examples throughout Scripture. Uh, We have good examples all around us. Uh, Find a good example to follow. That's a good place to get God's direction. How about wisdom? A wise son hears his father's instruction. We all want to be wise. Where do you get wisdom? So um, that's God's direction is to have some wisdom about things. Uh, How about this? Counsel. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. And so counsel is good. Um, The problem is, whose counsel are you going to listen to? You got counsel over here, and you counsel over here, and um, counsel is good, but where are you getting your counsel? And then finally, choice. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Um, isn't it great when God gives us so many options and they're all okay? They're all right? Isn't that great? And you just get to pick. Pick whatever you like. I'm picking the blue one because I like blue, and it's okay. God likes blue. He likes red too. If you want the red, that's okay too. And so we have these, these things in finding God's direction. So um, I guess we just need to pause for a moment here. And I, I want to recognize that not all those things are equal. If God commands something, then I better do that. Whereas sometimes my choices aren't 
They're not in the same level, right? So sometimes I think we just need to pause and work out what level of guidance we're working with here. Okay? Because if, if I'm just following somebody's counsel, or maybe even their example, um, I want to make sure that I don't put that on the same level as God's commands. And then tell everybody else that they ought to do that. Because they're not on the same level. And so what we actually choose to do in the end is, is kind of like, if, if God says this, I, I know He says don't be unkind. So if you're being unkind, I can tell you you're wrong. But I certainly can't tell you what you should do or think about a lot of other things. So let's just pause in this time of history that we're living in practically and just pause for a minute and ask, what level of direction from God am I actually operating on here? I think that would just be helpful to us. Well, interestingly enough, once David got direction from God, his men fell in and committed to the plan. Okay, like I don't even understand that. One second ago, we are going to stone you to death, but now we're going to follow you into battle. Uh, okay, how did that happen? Well, when a man knows where he's going, and he has somewhat of a proven record, people will follow. I say that because, like, if I just said, hey, hey, everybody, I got a great idea. Like, I know you're all kind of mad at me, but hey, let's all take our swords, and uh, we're going to go out and fight Aurelia. Come on! You know, know, seriously? Have, Have you even hit anybody ever? This was David. Remember David? He's killed his tens of thousands. Okay, he had some credibility. And he heard from God. And so, yeah, the guys got in line and went with him. And of course, you know the end of the story. Hey, here's a, here's a free aside for you. This, this is free. You could take this home with you. We are raising children. Down in Harvest Kids, we're teaching them. They're learning about the tabernacle. And they're making one, and then they're going to eat it. It's great. I had a piece. <laughs> Tasted wonderful. Okay? We're, we're down in Harvest Kids. We're teaching our children some things. And in Awana, we're teaching our children. What are we teaching them? We're teaching them their identity in Jesus Christ. And we're giving them God's word to give them direction. And so that our children are going to be the leaders of tomorrow. Because they know who they are and where they're going. And people are going to follow them. And quite frankly, that gives me hope for revival. So that's just free. All right. I find hope in a desperate crisis when I realize God's presence. Remember, we changed that one. When I recognize God's direction, and finally this, when I um, reflect God's character. It can be just as interesting to watch what people do when they win as when they're in trouble. Isn't it? Don't you hate that guy that just like does the dance. Ah, look what I did. Yeah. yeah, we don't like that guy. Interestingly enough, look what happens to these guys. They're coming back. Okay, they fought all night and all day, and they got all their stuff and more. And they're coming back, and they're just like, hey, man. And they come back to the guys who stayed back with the baggage. And what are they called? These wicked and worthless fellows. 
hey, wait a minute. These are the guys on David's team. They just like fought beside him all night and all day. And they were like hacking and slashing and putting their lives at risk. And they come back and they're like, man, we won. Look what we did. Like 400 of them ran away. That's all we had was 400. Where the rest of them we wiped out. And they're all like, yeah, look at that. And they're called wicked and worthless fellows. Wait a minute. I thought they were on our team. Yeah, look around. I wonder who the wicked and worthless ones are here. Uh, okay, let's not do that. Okay, let's not look around. Let's, let's not doubt. Don't be a doubter. Don't be a hater. But that's what these guys were. And they were going to say, hey, we, we, we did all the work. You ain't sharing nothing. David says, don't, don't do that, boys. Why? You shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given to us. David recognized that the Lord was all through this. Remember we said he, he uh, made an Egyptian slave sick so that three days ago, so that three days later, David and his men could find him. He provided, like seriously, there were 400 young guys on camels and they took off and, and David's men won. Like who gave them that victory? Uh, David recognized God did. He said, hey, this stuff is all from God. Now, they called it David's spoil. David, they gave it all to David. They said, hey, David, this is your stuff. What did David do with it? He said, oh, no, 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 we're going to share. We're going to share. David understood about community, the value of community and sharing joys and sorrows. So he says, no, 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 um, we're going to share with the guys who stayed behind. Why did they stay behind, by the way? They were exhausted. The word that's used to them is literally they were dead on their feet. They were like dead men. They had no strength to keep going. I don't know how the 400 kept going because these guys were played right out. And David said, no, no, they stuck in and they did what they could and they share equally. And he made it a law in Israel that the spoils of war are shared equally. That's because David recognized everything comes from God and we're a community and so he shared, uh, he extends God's generosity to the community and beyond the community to the elders of southern Israel. This is what we do as a community also. We rejoice with those who rejoice and we reap with those who weep. Sometimes in the same week. Sometimes we're having a party over here and we leave the party and we're happy and we're singing and then we go over here and we cry with somebody else. Uh, let me tell you, that takes an emotional toll, but we do both because we belong to each other. And sometimes we're singing with somebody while we're crying. And sometimes we have a, heart, a song in our heart while we're weeping. And we share these things because we're together. Philippians 2 says this, Think about what we have in Christ. The encouragement He has brought us, the comfort of His love, our sharing in His Spirit, and the mercy and kindness He has shown us. If you enjoy these blessings, then do what will make my joy complete. Agree with each other and show your love for each other. Be united in your goals and in the way you think. That's from the easy-to-read version. Because <laughs> sometimes we need the easy-to-read version. And I just wanted us to get that really clearly. We need to remember our identity and that we are a community of faith in Christ. That is what joins us together. It's not our race. 
thank God we've got a variety here. I love it. And uh, that's not what ties us together. It's not our wealth. And let's be honest, the poorest among us is wealthy when you think about in terms of the world. But that's not what holds us together. It's not our past, thank God. We're coming from all kinds of weird different places. It's not our status in any area. It's not our status that holds us together. And it's not our status that's going to divide us. We are the community of faith in Jesus Christ. Sidney Gradanus says this in speaking of the Scriptures. He suggests they're less a model for morality and more a mirror for identity. So the question before us is, what are your responses saying about who you are? What are our responses saying about who we are? We are the community of faith. We belong together. And trust me, we've got a lot of stuff to do together. More than enough to do together than to allow ourselves to be separated. So, when I find myself in a crisis, where do I find hope? Realize God's presence. The Lord is my shepherd. I belong to Christ. He's holding me. And I'm going to hold on to Him. Recognize God's direction. Our choices are made in the context of faith in Christ. Do what you already know to do. And then finally, reflect God's character. We're a community bound together by life in Christ. Prioritize loving and reflecting God's character and purposes together. Let's pray. Father, once again, we thank you. Father, teach our hearts to recognize all that you've given to us. Father, especially when we're in hard places. And Lord, some here are in difficult circumstances. They're in a very hard place. Lord, they're trying to to get a plan. They're trying to get safe and get stable. and They're even finding ways to serve you in the midst of it. And they're looking for solutions. Lord, some are even in a crisis right now. They're just trying to hang on to you with everything they have. Father, in the midst of that, would you continue to show us all the ways that you have been so, so good to us. And remind us that you've given to us life and that we belong to you and that we belong to each other. And so, Father, in these difficult days, I pray that you would help us to hold on to you, help us to obey the truth that we know about you and who we are and how you want us to respond. And Father, help us to truly be a community of faith together. So Lord, we ask that you would come. Lord, thank you that you say you're willing to be our God. You are our God. We hang on to you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.